0: Welcome to the David Watson podcast. And in this episode, I am speaking to Kathy. And Kathy was actually the guest on my last podcast episode. But this time we got into mental health. And Kathy discussed a lot of what she does in mental health, her background in HR. And there was a lot of great, useful advice. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I loved having Kathy on. We're already planning on doing another episode together. And as always, if you do enjoy it, please like, subscribe, share, comment, anything. It all helps. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. How are you?
1: Hi, David. It's lovely to see you again. I'm great, thanks.
0: Yeah, and, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get through this without too many technical issues as we are. Uh, we seem Hopefully, to be have, yeah. Yeah, have some internet dropping out issues at the moment. So thank you for coming back on. It is appreciated. And today, well, actually, I'll, I'll let you explain to people um, your involvement with mental health.
1: Yeah, sure. So last time I was on, I was explaining that I run two businesses and I gave up the corporate world almost three years ago. It's three years in December um, to walk talk and uh, take better care of my physical health and my mental health. Um, So the corporate world, as we know, can be pretty challenging. In 21st century life, there's a lot of demands, um, a lot of challenges. There are in in most employments, but with a long commute as well, that was starting to affect my lifestyle, my relationships and my health. So um, I took the plunge to uh, leave a full-time job as head of HR, for um, a national charity based on the South Coast. And um, with that, I decided to pursue both my hobby enterprise business, which is called Winter, which we spoke about last time, um, but also to pursue my, my professional interests and specialisms as an HR consultant, working independently and providing services to small and medium sized businesses. So in my HR career, which I kind of fell into there's very few people, I think, that actually plan on doing that kind of thing. It's not worth the danger money, I, I assure yeah. you. There isn't any danger money. Um,
0: it's plenty of danger. Yeah, I of just danger, kind of
1: fell but... into it. <laughs> yeah, plenty of danger, yeah. Plenty of being squished and squashed in the middle of things. Um, yeah, I fell into it and found a real love for it because it offered so much variety, um, so much intellectual challenge, and I found I was continually learning about myself and about my colleagues and the diversity um, of the businesses that I was working with and the different services they offered. I've always um, worked in public sector, not-for-profit and charitable organisations. I have had um, a a scattering of experiences in engineering and manufacturing as well. Um, So, you know, the cultures of those organisations are hugely different, which means that the role of HR and um, how uh, it can use its insights to help inform um, strategy and business decisions and risk and so on, um, vary enormously. So again, that stretched me, meant my skills and my knowledge were being used in different ways and I had to adapt really, really quickly depending on the context of that business um, or its current needs. Um, I always found an interest in supporting both the employer and the employee in managing ill health. And those were in the days where there were final salary pension schemes and ill health retirement processes and plans in place many of which um, no longer exist or are, are being tapered out um and the focus was very much in my earlier hr career um by businesses on managing absence and taking quite a punitive approach to managing people's ill health because it's all about the contract to work and you have to attend work regularly and fulfill your contract and Every time you're not in some way, there's a measure and there's a, you know, there's an impact to that measure and loss of revenue or loss of productivity, and sometimes a disciplinary approach taken. So yeah. really quite a harsh and punitive approach rather than taking into consideration that there's a whole person there. And uh, very not just an employee. Yeah. And of course, most businesses have have had to evolve in response to changing equality, discrimination, legislation that's been led through Europe for the better, Uh, you know, getting rid of some of our old 1960s and 70s legislation, that feeds directly into practice and how employers, you know, don't just have a duty to tick a box and be compliant, but actually to shift their culture, um, steering towards, you know, more modern way of thinking, more inclusive methods of working with and getting the best out of their, their people. So in my time, I've worked on a lot of projects to do with employee engagement and employee well-being. And specifically, I noticed the how over time, over many years, there was an increase in absences that related to stress, anxiety and depression. And actually, what was traditionally sort of in the top three, the sort of musculoskeletal or headache or uh, cold or diarrhea and vomiting kind of reasons that were usually in the top three are slipping further and further and further down the list irrespective of the size of employer or the sector so stresses and pressures and stress at work became the big sort of buzz thing for employees to start talking about and that was a method really um, for the demands and the I suppose the perceived or actual sense of control that employees have over their work the nature of the work the demand, the volume of the work, the work life balance, etc., start to coming to the fore. So if you spring forward to where we are today, COVID has really accelerated um, some of the conversations that we have about mental health, not just at work, but just generally speaking at home and in our communities, social communities, as well as work. So it's far more holistic. Um, I think now, um, Generally speaking, there is an appetite for that conversation. Uh, flexible working and what's had to happen in order to keep businesses afloat and people employed. Yes, of course, there's massive ongoing challenges. But mental health remains something that's not just a hot topic that's going to fade away. It's uh, it's something that's, that's relevant and it's important to everybody. And when I started working for myself, um, I engaged on a programme um, to be trained up as a mental health First Aid England instructor with the organisation Mental Health First Aid England. So I am a licensed instructor. I've been trained extensively in their tools um, and been assessed independently and worked with um, national trainers, so that I can deliver their licensed training, um, either you know as, as part of an employer's program um, or just you know for awareness and and skills development. Um, for the general community and that's something i find incredibly fulfilling um helping to break down some of the stigma and taboo that that surrounds all of the factors that can affect our mental health or mental ill health is, is that introduction enough
0: yeah <laughs> no it, <laughs> are, we, it,
1: it, are we done now
0: <laughs> well i think we're probably we've probably segue into let's start you know i because mean, it is <laughs> it, it, it's, it's very difficult isn't it because um, I, I, I think one of the things that's very difficult is how people want an issue to be fixed. Mm. And the thing is, we don't really know exactly what causes all of the problems and what are all of the solutions. So, and I, I'm going to just play in devil's advocate here because yes, one of the sure. big, I think the big issues is... um is we all go in one direction and think this is great, but we don't think of the consequences. So mm. I, I remember when people were first furloughed and I can't remember who who wrote the article, but it was, uh, it was an economist or something like that. And he made a very good point. He said, the problem with furlough is everybody's saying, oh, this is great. We can all work from home. Businesses are still paying for buildings. And once they realise they don't have to, and that you can work from home, They can employ somebody working from home in a country that costs a third of it. And they won't have to pay pensions. They won't have to pay holidays. They won't have to pay sick leave. They won't have to pay for HR. They won't have to pay for pregnancies. And they won't have to pay your wages. And he said, and if I was you, I'd be desperate to get back inside the office building. He said, where they notice you because your problems are about to begin when they realise they can employ anybody from anywhere in the world. But and here's the problem, that's I actually believe that's true and I think that's going to come back to bite us. Or potentially. But how do we manage, like you say, the long commute, the office hours sitting in front of a screen, office politics, bosses that don't know how to not send an email at seven o'clock at night or ring you on their phone, WhatsApp groups for work, so people can stay in touch. When you know, how do we control the leave me the hell alone? So my private life is my private life and my work life is my contracted hours. It's how we balance all of that.
1: There's some really That's... interesting points you've raised there. Yeah. I'll keep you on my toes today, Dave, definitely. It's a really interesting point you mentioned around uh, the article that you read. It's not one I've read, but I've, I've heard and read and discussed similar um, mm. notions. And the thing is, the world of work and globalisation has been going on for like a few decades now yeah. and um, you know there was a spring of um, businesses that started to uh, export their customer services um, yeah. overseas and then those those haven't failed Th- those have failed, those have been bought back again and um, some of that's down to um, you know customers perhaps uh, based in the UK being frustrated um, with a, a lack of uh, authenticity in the communication and, and the Sometimes language barrier. language or cultural yeah. variances and nuances that can't just be trained um if you export and outsource that that part of the business yeah um and, and that had that had you know there were some big you know pound signs that were really quickly realized by doing so but actually the ta- tacit knowledge that's held by people who of any culture live within a nation can't be easily written down and replicated thousands of miles away and so i think there is always still room for certain services not to be exported not to be outsourced to other countries because it directly inhibits the quality of customer service experience whatever you want to call that customer journey and how that's measured and of course In many service industries or or even goods industries, um, how one company differentiates over another is less about, um, you know, the actual goods. It's about the quality of the service. That's massively competitive. Um, So, you know, same um, same product or service, but it's all about how. And I think consumers, generally speaking, have got some leverage in what they expect these days. So, yeah, I, can, I think I can, I can see both sides of the argument. I think there will definitely be certain displacement. Um, there's many organisations I'm aware of and we're reading in the media where you know, they're already restructuring, you know, have been for some time anyway. Yeah. But restructuring really is something that's endemic. It's not something that just like happens once uh, every 10 or 15 years in business. In order to survive, there's a continual evolution of the way in which businesses are structured yeah. and operated and yeah. you know what remains within this location or that location and, and the cost effectiveness and the viability of that will continue to shift. It's it's an endemic ongoing thing change.
0: Absolutely. I mean the, the guy in people, particular... as
1: you allude to people people have, have had a, an identity in the past where work and life outside of work have been quite separate. So with the expectation that you, you know, you have a life and you enjoy that life and your whole person is considered in relation to employment, there is definitely a lot of blaring of the lines in between because what's okay yeah. and an employee gives permission for one week or one month, they might not the be following because their needs um, or responsibilities and commitments shift just as an employer's does. So the, the key to it working and staying fluid and flexible is communication. It always is and it always will be. So again, it's very much you know looking from an external market perspective, that employer, that business has to consider how it engages its customers and how it differentiates and how it engages its customers to stay afloat. And that's the key USP that it will hold on to, that will add value to that customer. But when it looks internally, it has to offer exactly the same um, approach and differentiation to its staff to its people to its internal stakeholders the other agencies it works with um, its prospects its potential staff of the future how it engages and considers that talent and retains it is again around the quality of how they approach uh, their staff and of course well-being is key to that well-being is a massive word it it can include and exclude pretty much everything Depending on how you want to define it, on, on any one
0: <laughs> day, it can include and exclude um, everything.
1: Yeah. So, so when you when you talk about mental health, you know, you could be talking about, um, you know, physical health affecting mental health, or you could be talking about mental health affecting physical health. It could be good old health and safety, environment, bending, lifting, stooping, twisting. Whether you've got the right ergonomics and setup to work from home, and you're taking regular um, breaks away from the blue light and the screen um but it's it's more about attachment my identity and whether you know people are being over surveyed at work and over communicated as you say with a boss that decides it's okay to send an email at seven <coughs> o'clock at night or seven o'clock in the morning and and something i actually personally choose because i really enjoy working flexibly um, myself with both businesses um with my hr uh, email signature i've got a little statement um, that makes it clear, you know, that, that I don't expect an immediate response, and irrespective of the, the time that I've sent it, I don't expect a, a, an immediate response. So, showing respect, and making a clear statement that how people work, um, there should be more freedom for that and more respect for that. So, it's not about putting a stop clock on people and monitoring how they um, are working and sort of noting that down on a clipboard. That kind of real sort of 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s sort of unionised, you know, control of yeah. workforce really is, it's not just out of date. It, it's stale. It's uncomfortable. It's not relevant anymore. But many businesses still operate in that way.
0: Uh, and yeah.
1: continue to.
0: I think one of the things that's difficult for a lot of businesses, and th- th- this is just, uh, just a reality, is... That within a certain sector of workforces, the only reason people are there is because they have bills to pay. yeah, and I think for those, for those areas of work it's very difficult for them to bring in like a, a well-being workforce because you're not going to inspire them, you're not going to get them passionate. they're just there. and, and I'll give you an example um, many years ago. I, I used to um, be a supervisor on a night shift at a large co-op supermarket. And we used to have shelf stackers come in for three hours every night, tidy up the shelves, rotate all of the stock and all of that. 100% of those staff were there because they needed extra money. And their partners, yeah. their partners were at home looking after the children. And it was the only yeah. time they could get out of work, get out of home, have somebody at home to look after the children. And they needed the money. That, that was their sole reason for being there. Is none of them. And actually and actually I think if you spoke to most of them, they'd say it was quite an easy going pleasant job as, as jobs go, because it's all just put out on the floor, you just gotta put it on the shelf. Once you're done, you're done. You know. We, different
1: stresses, it's different yeah. demands, it's different expectations. That, that, and I think this no, is very no difficult. Contact. Yeah.
0: No. And I think it's very difficult for businesses, especially the larger the business and the more products you do, or the types of products yeah. you do Because what one sector of that business, what might work for them, is not applicable at all in any way, shape or form for another sector. Absolutely. And I think it's I think another thing that's very difficult for all businesses is typically the people driving those businesses forwards, love what they're doing. They're very passionate about it. Mm. And in the middle, you've got some people that are really passionate about it or feel that the finances reward the efforts, whichever way. And then you're dragging people along, and it's a bit like a comet flying through the sky. The front is charging forward; the tail is getting dragged along. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, irrespective of the business, I think it's a really um, astute observation to make. You know, the more simplistic. I'm doing well today, aren't I? um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are definitely. You're on fire for Friday afternoon.
0: We're going to stop right there. Um,
1: Yeah, you're right. For for small companies, you know, what drives those people and how complex it is and and the range of demands and factors people need to respond to, irrespective of their level or their length of service or their level of responsibility. You know, those drivers that affect those people's stresses and demands will be very different than in a very large, well-established, complex, um, mature organisation. Um, but even then like you say not everyone's going to be waving that co-op flag they're not going to have it in their dna um and and i think that is maybe not a reflection of the age of that employee but the phase of life so depending yeah. on um their financial circumstances and commitments and responsibilities and that can vary enormously by age uh, yes there's you know typical circumstances that we can all you know think you know probably younger people want to get on the property market xyz you know there's certain life um uh, uh goals perhaps that come along in a capitalist society where people need you know to be saving their money more and others are in a position where they've got more disposable income and can spend it but ultimately money is what makes the world go round in a in a capitalist economy and um we do all have bills to pay that tends to be the number one driving force however how somebody is treated and I, I haven't got any quotes and i possibly should have um researched this a little bit before our conversation today but there's considerable um, evidence out there to show how uh, the needs and expectations of both millennial and gen z uh, generations are dramatically different than, say, the, my parents' generation, even my generation. So what people expect is fulfilment, safety, enjoyment, um, and a sense of community within that work identity. So whether they are... you know, Job for Life obviously doesn't exist anymore. It really doesn't in any sector. Um, but perhaps people have a more sort of portfolio way of working where they have an identity with that community where perhaps their values are aligned with that organisation. It's not all about the pounds and pence that people w- are happy to offset. Um, having slightly less money, if it means um, you know their experience, their engagement, their sense of fulfilment and value, the expectations, the stresses, the demands, etc., mean that they have got a, a, a sense of happiness yes. and well-being when is... considered their their phase of life not just their phase of career well there's something about that because
0: there there is a lot of research and this would apply um especially to you and i you and i would have a greater understanding than some than um some some other listeners like you know generations z and millennials and stuff so when you and i were growing up our grandparents were there by default because they'd survived two wars the most horrific wars known in modern history and as a result of surviving those two wars, our grandparents also knew times of great hunger and great danger. So they they literally had a default gratitude for the fact they lived in peaceful times, right? Yeah. So if they then just had food on the table and a roof over their head, they were they had a level of contentment that you and I probably could never grasp. Add to that, health was poor because the NHS didn't start till 1953. So if you were healthy, you were considered blessed. You actually felt you were lucky. And an example of this, um, I can give in practical terms is people would be aware, like you you and I, again, would have much greater awareness of the fact that the pension age changed a few decades ago. And that people back then, grandparents, they retired at 60, 65, uh, And the reason for that was based on the numbers of if you put in this much money for the pension based on the average, I think it was the average mean life of when they would die. And nobody was expected to draw the pension for more than two and three years. We exceeded that. So we, you and I and our DNA from our grandparents had this and like our parents would have grown up in a time with parents who knew a very different life and would have drummed into them. If you can eat, breathe, and walk, you're damn lucky to be alive. Right? Mm. But, and when you and I would have been at school, every child, every teacher was a child that survived the war. Mm. And I, you know, I, I remember teachers, if they were past, I think, 50, they had grown up in World War II or World War I, but they were still teaching us. So they, we had all of this, it didn't matter what, you know, if you fell over, scraped your knee, and needed surgery, you'll be fine, son. Mm. Get up. Stop yeah. crying. Stop whinging. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I I seen a house blow up and I was in it and had to crawl out and I'm all right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like. I can't really argue with that, can I? Yeah. I, mean, I only need a couple of things. I can of think to...
1: of some comedy sketch shows as did, well, did, did as, I mean... you're, as you're relaying these things, you know, you had Slate. Yeah. <laughs> you were lucky. <looking>. Yeah,
0: um, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, Monty, exactly that.
1: Monty Python ones that are probably really not PC at all as well. But, um, but that humour actually is a reflection of social change, isn't it? It is. Um, and, so and, it, and, it, it is it is important and it is relevant. And, and the... I, I think you're right. You know, health was poor back in those days. There was a lot that people we're very thankful for, very thankful for the the very simple things. But equally worldwide, birth rates exploded. Yeah. And now for the first time in, I think it's 17 or 18 years, our birth rate has shrunk to a point where we now have an issue on our hands if it continues to decline at the rate that it is, that we're going to have, I don't know if you remember those lovely little graphs around birth rate and death rate.
0: Yep. But we're We're going to have a very
1: very large elderly population very very few people to look after that population economically and with other resources as well in the years to come and that's a that's an international trend in many um uh, uh yeah capitalists coming back to that world word again and um, in many capitalist economies that that that's a common trend so whilst that's fantastic from an environmental and sustainability point of view that globalization the technology the raping of the world's resources and the drive for you know wanting more and having status and acquiring all sorts of um, assets uh, to acquire wealth and pass on to your children actually we're now starting to see some of those attitudes Uh, shrink and and turn the other way where people want more of a simple life and existence again and that although although there's some who still want X, Y and Z Xbox for Christmas you know, there's still people I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Xbox but I'm saying that there's I think always going to be a portion um, within say our society where people want things they want to acquire material things and it gives them a sense of fulfillment and pleasure and happiness. And that is what is known. And there are those that steer away from acquiring assets um, and occupy themselves with activities and hobbies that have far lesser impacts, either economically or environmentally. So there's more of a sort of social conscious, conscience, sorry, developing as well. So there's been, you know, five, six, seven decades since the first world war and second world war and this huge gratitude and very humble and humility filled ways of living and contributing to communities and general society and then there's been been this explosion of growth and demand and expectation in consumerism and various industries and producing goods that um And, and setting expectations, I think, of this is what success looks like. This is what, you know, you should be aspiring towards. You can have the big car. You can have two or three holidays a year. You can send your children to private school. You can upgrade your home after that, and then you can buy yourself another car. Yeah. And, and 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 people have recognised, I think, probably... Um, there's always been portions of society that have always recognised that that kind of... Um, Acquisition is, is greedy and doesn't necessarily mean happiness. Um, but there is a perhaps a growing attitude, I would suggest, an expectation that it probably won't bring you happiness. It's probably going to add complication. It's going to add complexity to your sense of happiness. Because what happens next? Where does it end? Where does it end? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's
0: know, one of the... Um... I think Tim Ferriss was the first person I ever heard talk about it, and um, and I've come across something similar when coaching clients, um, like very very successful clients. They started out with a dream: if I could just grow the business this big, earn this much, you know, that's great. But when they get there, they realize actually that they that that's not successful. I could be more successful. I could. And before you like, and, and Tim Ferriss was the guy. Like I said, who I first heard talk about this. Before you know it, they get to the end of their kind of life. The business is bigger than they ever imagined it be. They're far more successful than they ever thought they could be. They're on three failed marriages, seven kids they don't talk to. And when they sit back and think about it, they think, I was so happy when I just reached that first goal, and that was my ultimate goal. But he said and a lot of them could have just sold the business at that level that they wanted to attain in the very first place. And had not done that they could have then lived a life they truly wanted which could have just been fishing golf reading yeah. books having an allotment did you do what i mean but,
1: but we're curious as a species and if we've been brought up to always want more uh, uh, and i i mean in terms of intellectual fulfillment not necessarily just assets um then we try to better ourselves all the time and that that definition of success what we had when we were 20 or 25 good old hindsight something we talked about last time it we is. spoke in hindsight would we have chosen you know this path or would we have chosen that
0: path? this was the thing that tim ferris made a very good point about is mm. define what success truly means to you and mm. stick to that as your blueprint because he said all of these people that he'd spoken to realized that at some point they chased success um in a way that it didn't really mean what they thought it meant to them They'd lost contact with what true success meant to them. And, and it's just like, ah. And that was the kind of the the the, the actual message that Tim... is like, you have to define what real success means to you. Mm. Um, because and think, when you get carried away, you need the anchor to pull yeah. you back. It's a real catch-22, though,
1: isn't it? Yeah, because how can you possibly um define success when you're 14 15 years old when you have very limited life experience as to what that looks like and feels like we tend to learn when we realize we've made a mistake or we've been a little bit presumptuous or taken something for granted or been a bit greedy or a bit selfish it's only through life experience that we then um reevaluate what success means when we discover
0: it wasn't worth it
1: yeah yeah
0: like well, you said, you you had a great, children, children, yeah, you had a great HR treatment. job. You had a great high HR job. It yeah. was going fantastic, and then one day you woke up and like, "It's not worth it."
1: Yeah, it's really not worth it, is it? And sometimes those life experiences are because we notice in the people that we spend time with that they're burning out or they're holding the mirror up and saying, "You know, you're looking after everybody else, so why aren't you looking after you?" Or that, the quality of the time that you spend with yeah. people is. You're distracted because you're thinking about work you're tired out so you haven't really given them your full attention and listening and um or, or you notice that other people in your in your peer group are sort of moving on in their lives and you're not you're sort of stuck and so, that's usually the time to make it a change yeah
0: um
1: and yeah. How, how and when you make that change you know happens at different phases of life how did I, you I know how did i know when yeah
0: because um, it was a bold move. Hugely
1: bold. Move. Yes. Yeah, it was.
0: So, how um, did you know?
1: I think that's uh, such a good question. Um,
0: Seriously, I've got I to quit this I podcast. I, I
1: didn't wake up. I didn't wake up one morning and say, "Do you know what? I don't want to do this anymore." And I made yeah. an impulsive decision. It didn't happen like that. I'm someone who continually evaluates my satisfaction and sense of fulfillment with how I'm contributing to myself, my sense of self, my immediate community and my employer or client's community um, and checking, checking in with how that's shifting and why it's shifting. Um, But you can't always see what's right in front of you. You don't always know something unless you you can read it or you hear it, someone tells you. Um, So a lot of the decisions we make are based on what we know, but also trusting our instincts, maybe some assumptions thrown into the mix as well. I've spent many years feeling a little bit disheartened that um, HR and, for example, wellness or wellness initiatives were sort of like a task and part of an HR's responsibility (laughs) and that the board would have no responsibility to sort of lead by example. As an example. And um, I, I, I think because I'm, I'm a natural learner and I don't really like to stand still, I think i would just hit a natural ceiling um, in the profession of HR. And being a senior generalist rather than specialising, you can continue to specialise if you want to, but you need to work for some pretty large companies, um, which would probably involve a further commute, and so on and so forth. So I had a choice to make. I either continued to live and work on the Isle of Wight or from the Isle of Wight and commute or possibly relocate. And relocation, that was a very simple decision for me. No thanks. Yeah. My lifestyle that I enjoy here on the Isle of Wight is actually what is soothing and settling. It's reassuring. Yes, it's got its uh, frustrations. It's expensive. Ferries get cancelled, all that sort of thing. Um, it's quite quiet. It's not commercial commercially um, competitive environment at all. And so with that, there isn't the sort of opportunity to climb all sorts of different rungs and specialize and and keep your intellectual um, learning and development um, stimulated. So that choice was simple. No, I'm not prepared to relocate no matter what. Um, I may do in later years yet. Yeah. But at that phase, I just thought, you know what, I'm really not, not in the mood for an even longer commute in order to grow a career. That's too much of a compromise for what's important for me. So
0: so there was a partly through. a physical barrier that helped make the decision. Or yeah, contra-
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. Like, and
1: and I, had, I had many opportunities here on the Isle of Wight to grow and develop mm. my career. But many um, opportunities, uh, there were far more opportunities the other side of the water on mainland UK than here on the Isle of Wight. As I say, there's very little commerce here. Um, So, you know, there tend to be standalone HR roles Um, and um, very, very limited senior roles. So probably only literally half a dozen, maybe up to eight or nine or ten people working in the same sort of profession, the same sort of level. So if one person moves on, there's then that initial yeah. domino effect that another three, four, five years before somebody else then pushes that next domino piece over. So yeah, the physical barrier actually made my choice really, really sh- straightforward. But more than that, what I intrinsically value and find fulfilling is where an organization's um pledged values actually speak volumes in the culture. Now many values are aspirational, rather than the reality, because of course, culture takes many, um, many years to shift and and shape and subcultures exist um, in different teams and um, with different leadership or change leadership or just with business change, natural change, uh, or unexpected change. Um, But from time to time, I think I felt a little disillusioned that certain leaders weren't promoting and leading the values or the stated values or aspirational values yeah. of that organisation and that that was known about and was not either challenged or supported. Um, you know, that, so where is the accountability and, and as an HR professional, when it's about all about the how, it's about behavioural aspects of engagement, um, that you're, you're there to influence and steer um it, it's quite frustrating um for me personally I know plenty of other HR professionals that work in the same sort of circumstances it's a common frustration in in our profession um and and other people are sort of I suppose better better at tuning out of that and the sort of politics that you alluded to earlier um and I, I know I'm a bit more sensitive to that because I fiercely believe in what that organization is trying to achieve and, and I, I fiercely believe that we should be working towards um, showcasing um, those values and making them a reali- reality not just you know written on a bit of paper and left to gather dust um, and what the knock-on effect is t- and yeah, both for the bottom line as well as for future retention or, or attraction for the right talent um and I just thought, do you know what? I've always, I've always loved the wellbeing piece and the engagement piece. Why am I, why am I getting my, myself involved with things that I was doing 10, 12, 15 years ago and hitting the same kind of barriers and ceilings um, with different organisations? Why don't I just do what I really enjoy doing and I know I'm good at doing? So whilst I still provide, generalist service to many of my clients I specialize in well-being engagement um whether that's individual case management or it's project management or it's cultural overview um uh and mental health and um opening up that dialogue around all things mental health and well-being
0: because this is the thing one of the things talking to you that that I'm hearing is that and it's fundamentally where I think a lot of us, myself included, has done this in the past where we get trapped into our own mental health. So listening to you, you seem to have a natural instinct on how to move forward and not get caught in a repeating cycle of I don't want to do this, but I don't know what I want to do. I'm not being fulfilled by this, but I don't know what fulfills me. Do you know what I mean? And I think that lack of purpose or direction is where many of us get affected. But as I'm listening to you, you seem to have navigated that exceptionally well.
1: Um, I don't think I have navigated it exceptionally well. And I, I you know, thank you very much for the compliment. And that I'm interested that that's your observation. Um, I think I've really struggled with it at times. I think that navigation in my mind has been really straightforward. But then the reality of actually following through and dealing with those sorts of bumps yeah. and letting go of things and my heart being caught up with where my head is, that's not been for the faint-hearted. At times, that's been tough. Um, And I I don't think there's prescription as to how I've done that. I've certainly sought support from time to time. Um, I've uh, engaged NLP practitioners and also studied NLP myself. I've worked with um, life coaches and um, professional business coaches as well to help challenge my thinking and my decision-making. I think if I'd gone completely solo, I would have probably just carried on on that repeat cycle of, you know, I suppose, bumping straight into a brick wall and thinking, oh, how did I do that again? Yeah, And and then carrying on um, feeling frustrated or unfulfilled or not perhaps, yeah, just moving on, moving forward. So I think it's key to work with other people that can challenge you and hold the mirror up Um, and that's what gives you I think the the quiet assurance and confidence to move on Um, so yeah I didn't wake up one morning and say you know to hell with this it was something that I thought about very carefully over a very long period of time still felt huge fulfillment um, in various roles with different employers Um, otherwise I probably would have made other decisions sooner yeah I think on a personal level, many friends and family had always sort of nagged in my ear and whispered to me, don't work for yourself. It, you know, you're know, you going to lose your pension. You're going to lose your sick pay. You're going to lose this. It's, it's going to be yeah. really scary. What if you don't get the business? You won't be able to pay your mortgage. You know, what if, what if, what if? And um, in years gone by, I had quite low self-esteem and, and self-value. And that's something I've worked hugely hard at. And I think the more you work harder, well, what are my values? What makes me tick? What does success mean to me? Coming back to that tip that, that you yeah. mentioned, you know, when you really examine that for yourself and keep revisiting it, then actually those little nags and those whispers, those, oh, God, maybe I can't do it. What if it does fail? You know, those things fade. Those things start to fade and they sort of become somewhere on the periphery of what is driving you forward because if you have conviction in your heart and in your head um you don't need to have um very detailed um plans it's true can just have a vision you can have a vision and you understand what that goal is and you have some self-confidence and you surround yourself by experts to support you and help you and challenge you because you can't be expert in everything. And <laughs> actually that's, that step, that breach of, you know, going from being employed as opposed to working for yourself and 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 carving your own destiny. It's that breach is, is actually quite small. That step isn't quite as big and as bold and scary as perhaps, you perceive it to be It's, it's
0: true, because that's, that's actually um, one of the... There were lots of reasons why I started a podcast. But one of the reasons that was in that big bundle of reasons was to get used to being rejected. Because yeah. I have to reach out to people and ask them to come on as guests. And I get, always get yeah. more no's than yeses, And I like coming on to the, the New Forest uh, Commerce, where I met you. There's a group yeah. of people it's just like, actually, I'm looking for guests for a podcast. And... Everybody in that moment you're aware is is making their mind up about you. Yeah. And it was to get yeah. me you and to be honest, I still get nervous about doing it. I still <laughs> I, I, I never get what I'm used to is that it doesn't matter. Mm. That that's the only thing I can explain. I still get nervous about reaching out, messaging people, and I noticed today I was procrastinating, so I messaged loads of people asking if they'd come on the podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I've got used to is that it's never as bad as I make it out to be in my head. Yeah. The experience yeah. is nowhere near as bad as that, but I can Always. still to this day get into a bit of a mess about it in the build up to doing it.
1: <clears throat> but that's what, that's yeah. what makes you absolutely human, isn't it? It David?
0: is. It's that can acceptance of that.
1: Yeah, it is. And as soon as you recognize that from time to time, I doubt myself a bit and I am a bit scared yeah. of what if someone says no, um, and, and that, that's not personal. It's, got nothing it's just to do nothing with to
0: do with it. Nothing.
1: It's, it's none of your business, even. But recognising <laughs> that, it <laughs> is, it's, it's, um, it's quite a big part of learning, isn't it?
0: It is. It is I mean,
1: it... I still get dry mouth before, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing a, um, a training course or something, if I'm delivering mental health, whether it's in situ um, or online, um, or if perhaps I'm giving a talk maybe it yeah. is just a talk and a presentation or it's where I'm asking some questions and there's quite a degree of interaction I can get myself a little bit fizzy with um, anxiety beforehand it's and for me crazy, my symptoms my th- symptoms are I get clammy palms they get a little bit clammy I can feel my heart rates increase slightly I get dry mouthed um, and I, I think that's that's good because it charges me and it means I care about it yeah it means I want it to go well and I'm passionate about why I'm there and why I've either elbowed my my way in to be there or I've been invited to be there either way I'm proud to be there I do believe in myself but I think I think the symptoms are just going back to perhaps previous years where there there has been you know um a low perceived value of my contribution or a rejection of some kind yeah. you know those are natural parts of our our psychological development and so those habits and those instincts resurface every now and then and as the older we get as long as we check in with ourselves regularly we learn how to manage that you yeah, learn definitely. how to manage your procrastination I learn how to um, manage my avoidance from time to time I think Do you know what today is not the day be doing this or to be speaking to that person because I know my energy is not in the right place and there's other days where perhaps something happens or something doesn't happen sometimes it's because something doesn't happen that you expect to happen and you're just more able to shrug your shoulders and say what the heck it doesn't matter So, what I'm referring to there is what we often term resilience and our resilience is something that again coming back to um your analogy not analogy but your observation of the reality of those that have lived through one or two world wars and their offspring and what they're thankful and grateful for Um, resilience and tough it up you know you've fallen over you've cut your knee you know tough it out get on with it stiff british upper lip Mm. that's great to a point
0: I think, can I, um, sorry, can I just interrupt? Yeah. I don't mean to cut you off. I think one of the things that's greatly misunderstood about the stereotype of stiff upper lip, it came from a place of necessity. It was it never did. meant to be an, al- an analogy of how to live your life moving forward. It I Its agree. roots were very much in, we live in some very life-threatening dark times. So yeah. come on your big boy yeah. pants up stiff up a lip yeah we have yeah. to do this but yeah. if we yeah, don't
1: absolutely.
0: we lose our country and i don't yeah and of course but now we look at it it's like oh they were all just suppressing their feelings no they weren't it wasn't about yeah. that but if you're watching some of the most horrific times in human history unfolding in front of you somebody has to tell you mate pick that gun up get over the top of that trench and march forward. And off you
1: go. Because the people
0: back home, their bloody lives depend on it. And that stiff upper lip is where that comes from. Mm. Because the other Mm. choice was even worse, if that's imaginable for you and I. Sorry, because I I didn't mean to cut you off there. No,
1: I'm I'm really thankful you've mentioned that. And I've I've actually gone slightly goosebumping listening to you there because you've really struck a chord with what really matters to me. I I don't know that... Everyone remembers. I, I, obviously, we weren't there, but the stories we're told, the books we can read ourselves, all we talked talked about at school. I don't know that that is at the forefront of people's minds.
0: Yeah, I don't know why In... I've always been very passionate about that because I I, I, I suppose if if I have an ability, I, I've always had this thing about history and my grandparents and some of the teachers that I went to school with mm. and stuff. It's kind of the marks they left on me, and I realise what they went through that I can't comprehend. And and it kind of always wanted me, to, and I, I guess like you, you and I just have this instinct we don't understand. We want to understand people, and for me, I found the best way to do that is to understand history.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so there, there are different things that shift and shape. And if you were to look at, say, Victorian times, and yeah. children shall be seen and not heard, and you know how youths of today behave, it's a completely different approach. Think back to corporal punishment. Think back to the days where your teacher would give you a clip round the ear or throw a board rubber at you if you were whispering to your mate when you should have been paying attention. Times have changed. But equally in our formative years, we we tend to copy and mimic the behaviour of those around us. So it's only natural that if granddad never talks about the war. Yeah. Never talked about war. Then that will have passed down to various males. My granddad used um, to say, "No
0: good comes from talking of the past."
1: Yeah, and and I I can I can recognise and he, understand yeah, why. Now
0: I understand why, because he he doesn't want to talk about the people that he killed or saw get killed. Which why, is why, why would the he want phrase, to do that?
1: Opening a can of worms is yeah. too much for some individuals. Yeah. Or too much for some employers in 21st century life. Because if you start talking about PTSD or other similar, how the hell are you going to support it appropriately? Because there aren't the resources to do it. Hmm. So, you know, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's right not to talk about things. Of course, I, I would always urge anybody who's struggling with something that's current or previous to, to get help. Only they know the kind of help that would work for them and where and how they can source it, or if they're not sure who they could ask to help them find some support. But for some people, actually talking about things isn't the right thing to do. For some people, it's actually about getting their bike out of the shed and going to do 20 miles and trying to beat their time from last week. That's what works for them. I like that. Just having a giggle and and taking the mickey out of their friends down the pub or playing golf. You're the first...
0: Sorry. You're the first mental health advisor I've ever heard say not everyone needs to talk about it.
1: No, not everyone does. And I I couldn't possibly dictate to people that you must do X, Y and Z. It's just not okay. That's completely out of some people's comfort zone. Um, For example, introverts, natural introverts will not come forward and and talk, you know, raise the hand and say, oh, I'm struggling here. Can you help Mm. me? But it's, whether you're extrovert or introvert, if, you're, if your mental health is taking a bit of a nosedive, it's taken a huge plunge or it's a bit bruised and something's not quite right. And I probably need to sort this out soon because it's affecting my sleep, my diet, my concentration. Um and my food my ability to eat or not and so on my relationship my sense of isolation my ability to get out of bed or even bother to shower each day yeah so there's different there's different things that will trigger that person to suddenly think oh my god i'm not coping some people may not notice that they're not coping but who the hell is it anyone else is right to say hey by the way you're not coping so that person that person's normal. Maybe actually, I'm perfectly well. Thanks very much. This is normal for me. My normal is different than your normal. I always I look like shit. Do you shower mind? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, when you're looking at yourself, or when you're looking at the people around you that you know in your community, uh, your, your literal social community, neighbours and what have you, or any groups that you might belong to, or um, friends or your work community it's no it's just noticing what might have changed for any of those individuals because actually if joe blogs is normally you know always on time or possibly early to meet up down the pub actually for the last three weeks he's he's cancelled which is a bit odd um or he's not answered text message or the whatsapp group he's spending less and less time or actually We happen to bump into him in the supermarket and he's not shaved for a couple of days. Now, somebody not shaving for a couple of days may be completely normal for one person, but if actually Joe is always freshly shaven and you would never dream of going out um, without that, something's obviously not quite right. So it's about noticing what the differences are, noticing what the the shifts are, and then it's offering an olive branch. It's never about judging and telling, is it? Mm, And there's nothing worse, I think, than for someone to say, I think you've got a problem and I know how to solve it for you. That <laughs> removes all responsibility and independence and it's thoroughly um, patronising and unhelpful and it won't sustain anything. It offers hope and it offers support. Of course it does. But there's ways and means by which we It doesn't can offer any support, support you want though, does it? <laughs> no. And often people just, often people do need to talk, but they don't know how to start that conversation
0: that is um, i think for many people it's recognizing in themselves that there's a difference between i can work on this and i think i need to talk to somebody yeah it's a very different um, mental state when you i mean like i said you know like you said, you were saying you've seen uh, nlp coaches and um life coaches and stuff and i i had a therapist uh, and still use one and but there was a big significant mind shift when i realized the difference between it's okay to talk you know like i would advise everyone to talk i would advise people to go and see people but when i had to make that decision for myself you know seven or eight years ago it was just like you know you, you need to go and talk to somebody that and there was you know that that was a big mind shift for me recognizing that i had to go and have a conversation with somebody because so i didn't even really know what i wanted to talk about I just knew that something wasn't correct with me,
1: yeah, and that's you've just pointed out something that that's hugely important and relevant for anyone listening or watching to this podcast as well. who may be worried about someone they care about, or maybe they've got some question marks about whether they're coping well enough themselves, and that's that the talking and listening and sharing that we offer one another as friends or as peers or as colleagues and neighbors and so on is a little bit different than the professional help talking and listening that we might exchange. So I'm not a qualified therapist. I am a qualified counsellor, but I don't offer that as part of my services. It's not something I've practised. It's something that I have found invaluable in terms of my skills, but I'm not a counsellor, a therapist, a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, and so on. Now, when you reach out for help from a friend, that can be actually quite a big burden for that friend or colleague, yeah, or neighbour or whatever. There's only so much help, I think, that they can offer you because they aren't professionally experienced and qualified and, and skilled to help you. And actually, in turn, that could be the reason that you don't ask for help from those people who know you the best. You don't want to worry them. You don't want to be a burden. But how the hell do you, how, who do you turn to? How do, I, how do I contact a shrink? How do I make that normal and okay? What if anyone else finds out? All of that. So talking about having therapy and talking to people is, again, a huge priority for me as a mental health first aid instructor in normalising it. It's normal from time to time that our resilience wavers It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help from our friends and family. But it's also really important to recognise that there's probably some limitations with that, either in your ability to say, I'm going to talk to them and tell them my problems, but I'm not going to tell them the whole lot because actually I don't want them to worry about me. That's normal and natural. Whereas a professional relationship, they don't have that kind of responsibility to you. They aren't going to be laying asleep worrying about you at night. They will care. And they will have their professional charter to fulfil and uphold, and safeguarding responsibilities and what have you. But they're not there. They're not there in the way that your friends and family might be there for you. So actually, a combination of support of both talking and listening, or going on a bike ride with with your friends, or cracking a particular joke in certain circumstances. Eesh. You know, there's there's different ways that you can an share. inappropriate um, joke
0: at the right time.
1: Oh, very inappropriate. It irons out a lot of you know. cruises. It does iron out a lot of cruises. In Indeed it does, because it, it helps you feel not alone and isolated. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for laughter as medicine. I, I, um,
0: the, 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 again, going back to the cliche, you know, laughter is the best medicine. The meaning behind that had a real purpose. By, you
1: know, COVID has been an uncertain time. It's been a scary time, especially if you followed the media messages closely um, without break. Um, and what that's meant in terms of uncertainty in employment or business, yeah. that's also brought about a lot of challenges. But actually, one of the key signs that um, uh, you're, you may be heading for perhaps um, or be experiencing a diagnosed uh, depression is the loss of social contact. So it's in the top three reasons that a GP would, would uh, you know, it, when they're assessing a patient and, um, you know, just how acute or, or slight perhaps um, their anxiety or their depression may be. Actually, it's the loss of social contact that is an, an absolutely key lifeline. So whether you normally go to stitch and bitch once a week or go swimming twice a week or meet up with your friends once a month uh, for a pub meal or... Whatever your normal situations are, it usually involves some kind of hobby or activity that offers you endorphins and a physical release of stress. But it offers you the social contact to be able to identify and I suppose measure and reflect on where you're all at with each other and for yourself. And you come away with that glow of knowing that, yeah, yet yeah, again, you know, John over there and, and Derek over there and Barry typical they're still doing this that and the other which means actually me too i'm okay we're all okay that sense of okay and happiness through a a laugh and a banter or bike ride helps us reflect on our identity and our place within that that immediate community of what's normal but as soon as you take those lifelines away as soon as you stop going to stitch and bitch once a week swimming on your bike ride down the pub once a month that social contact lessens. And there's only so much authenticity that you can really grab through a WhatsApp video call or FaceTime or Zoom. And that has, alongside the other things in COVID, really compounded to a nation who has, for a lot of people, have felt really low and possibly been diagnosed with depression as well. Because the social contact is pretty much stopped or diminished. And they've also had no sense of control over that. And when we feel a sense of control, a lot of the decisions we make and choices we have, we feel very comfortable. As soon as that control is taken away, the anxiety flares up, doesn't it? Well, Because this is something
0: and I'm not going to get into COVID bashing by any stretch of the imagination, although I'm quite opinionated on it. Um, But two things we know, and we've known this for many, many years, is the more control we have over our decisions, the more secure we feel within ourselves. Yeah. And the greater our self-esteem becomes as a result of that. The second one is that humans, like all primate species, are social animals. And we like Mm -hmm. our social boundaries. We like our social tribes. We like our social constructs. We like our habits, our routines. And everything in the current situation is everything we don't like as a species, let alone as individuals. It goes against all of our instincts as a species. And it's it's a very difficult time for a lot of people.
1: It is. And for many people, they're starting to regain their independence. They're starting to get used to having choice again and, you know, daring to go out about different social circumstances and to feel safe and confident again and uh you know that that's fantastic but obviously it's entirely different circumstances that if you consider what people went through in in the war um the first world war the second world war or both if they lived through both you know that the loss of control was significant yeah. on pretty much every level <clears> in society and, and,
0: and the level of uncertainty about tomorrow
1: yeah and that, you know, you think how many years those wars went on for. And COVID's a completely different beast, obviously, and um, there's very different attitudes. There's lots
0: of the similarities, ways. though, isn't there? In,
1: in There are lots of similarities, In the insecurities, yeah.
0: in the fears that come about. The insecurity,
1: from the government communication and responsiveness, the, um, the lack of yeah, contact the, the, the with huge... the
0: people we love. Yeah. Will we ever see them again?
1: Yeah, and I don't think this generation will ever forget what it's been through and is still going through, and we've got a long winter ahead of us. And I think, you know, for me personally and for everyone I know, COVID has touched them in an adverse, detrimental way in in some way or another. And our sense of belonging and responsibility and what's important, maybe what's not important, and that humility that, again, our grandparent generation um, lived with day in, day out, post-war, um, for me, it's right in the forefront of my mind. And it yes. is for everyone yeah. I know. And and actually, from time to time, I have to say, I notice people who it's as though it never happened and I, or has happened and is still happening. And, and, and I, I'm really frustrated by that from time to time. I just think, how selfish can you be? You know, now is a time where we need to support one another in our immediate communities more than ever and more authentically than we ever have before. Um, but, yeah, that's, again, part of human nature. There's always those that perhaps are uh, consciously unconscious. <laughs> yeah that's probably a, that's probably a whole podcast on its own isn't well it, it? is <laughs> it saying. is because
0: i mean but it, it, even if you go back to like you know we were talking about the two world wars within within that society within those communities were people that took advantage of it mm. do mm. People, we like to think that by nature the good came out of everybody no the good came out of the people who were really good the opportunists seen the opportunities
1: yeah, definitely. And don't yeah. get me wrong, I'm an opportunist. I am. But, but there's opportunity um, to
0: be good and an opportunity yeah. to to slide something under the table.
1: There's opportunity to take
0: or opportunity to give. Yeah, and and that never changes. Again, it's human it's nature never is it changed is. in history, in
1: any culture, anywhere in the yeah. world, has
0: it? It doesn't matter who yeah. you are or what your background is. If it's not in your opportunity to take, sorry, if it's not in your nature to take that opportunity, from someone else when mm-hmm. if you were a giver you're a giver if you're a taker you're a taker and obviously you get blends mm-hmm. in between but yeah you know, it doesn't matter what's yeah. going on for one person how poor they are how hard their life is if they've got something that you need and they can give it to you they'll give it to you
1: yeah and someone say. else could have a,
0: we- a warehouse full of goodwill they'll still steal yours <laughs>
1: yeah and this is perhaps why we see certain people moving towards towards certain professional groups or um you know types of businesses and and not others there's those that are clearly more giving and community focused and values led and there's those that are about the pounds and pence and about the taking and what you can get out of it um irrespective of need we all have bills to pay as you said earlier yeah but um but we can have um not everyone has the same kind of conscience So we talk about having a clear conscience and sleeping well at night and things like that but actually what what you know those boundaries and those values are very very different so we have to be careful to not moderate our own values and someone else's so you know to be fair and to criti- not maybe criticize myself but to observe something I've already already shared you know from time to time I get really frustrated that people can be so selfish at a time like right now even through what we've all been through in the last 20 months or so actually remember remember not to judge that their experience is the same as yours that their yeah. values are the same as yours because they're not they're not at all and it's their frame of reference what's relevant and important and urgent to them and their upbringing and why their values been shaped to be what they are today completely different and, and who the hell am I to judge that um, what That's... I always hope for is that there is conversation and that we can continue to learn from each other through that dialogue I think it but is. there's a lot of barriers to break
0: down. So. It is because I think as people, like we say, like, oh, there's a the truth, their truth, your truth, and somewhere in the middle. But it's a little more complex than that because our understanding comes from how we, where we were in the moment that we were experiencing it. And then we can only understand that experience from the level of our awareness. Mm-hmm. And that will always be different from everybody else in the same room who experienced the same thing
1: you know when someone gives you feedback and uh, they handle it in a really uh, thoughtful way in a really positive and constructive way that's what really grows your self-awareness isn't it yeah at the very mo- moment someone accuses you of something and points the finger and aggressively points out all of the things you ought to have done and should have done is the moment that judgment's imparted and you know what actually even if the, the point that they're trying to make is valid, it falls on deaf ears, doesn't it, because of how they've handled
0: it. it is, I was talking to somebody about this recently in a coaching thing about um, that they, they'd come out of a toxic, toxic relationship and you know we're looking for closure and stuff like that. And it's like The reason you'll never get closure is because you will never be able to articulate to them how you felt through that experience because mm. they would never be able to articulate to you how they were feeling while you were experiencing it because Mm. we experience our feelings differently from our own perspective Mm. and we can never articulate that to the person we've offended Mm. and the closer you are the deeper the wound the greater the chasm of communication becomes
1: yeah yeah very much so it's a fissure that can open up and be infinite but equally I think it's through um sometimes Bruising yourself in a in a relationship, I, and I mean friendship, yeah. you know, relationship, yeah. re, you know, a relationship you have with your relative or with a colleague. It's often through things falling down and there being a misunderstanding, uh, uh, you know, in, a, in an inaccurate judgment or assumption made. It it's all about how you recover from that situation as to whether those fissures are actually going to heal or deepen. Um. And you, you think that you might know where you are with someone, whether you've known them five minutes or five decades. And I think one of the important lessons I remind myself of regularly is please, Kathy, just don't assume. Because that <laughs> that
0: person Have you ever <laughs> found oh, yourself, have yourself have you ever found yourself assuming while telling yourself, don't assume.
1: Don't be stupid. Yeah. Oh, totally, <laughs> Don't get me wrong my thought processes are often quite judgmental, yeah. because that's just my natural yeah. um modus operandi. I know that of myself and i've I've taught myself to challenge myself continually and to con- you know check in on my assumptions. why are my assumptions and perceptions what they are? just because that was the case two years ago doesn't mean it's the case now. You know, and again, that's about, I suppose, recognising and forgiving myself as well as those around me, and enabling everybody to move on. Not everyone stands still. The school bully probably isn't a bully now. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, <laughs> but we all pick up bumps and bruises along the way, which is what forms our values and, and reinforces and again them and the
0: boundaries. Sometimes the school bully didn't realise they were bullying you. For them, it was heavy-handed right. banter.
1: <laughs> yeah, heavy-handed, heavy-handed but, but when, banter. But
0: when you feel powerless, it's bullying. Mm-hmm. Did you? And I'm not saying it. you know because there's some bullies were just horrible, narcissistic, you know, like really sick people. But sometimes when somebody can come across as being bullying, like I, I've been accused, like in workplaces stuff, of being bullying. Well, that, that's just to me, that's just banter. I didn't realise that that person was receiving it as to the point that they felt they were getting bullied because like you said earlier they were introverted they were quiet i'm hardly an introvert you know mm. so again but it wasn't until i'd had that conversation with them that it raised my awareness it's like, ah, mm. okay right i mean luckily for me we we uh me and we're actually still friends now because we got into a dialogue about it and and of course they realized where i was coming from and i was now aware of the impact that had mm. you know but it's, you know, but for them, their first perception was that they were being bullied. I was just like, well, what do you want? You know, and it, like I said, we got into a conversation about it. But yeah, every, everything I'd said as an off-the-cuff remark, thinking I was funny, thinking I was being friendly, was like, why has this person got yeah. it in for me? <laughs> I have got it in for you, I'm trying to include you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just, at that time, I was incredibly clumsy with communication, and I didn't know how to do it back. Yeah,
1: and I think this is it. When we build relationships, we we often look for, you know, when it's a brand new thing, we look for common ground, common interests. We develop a little bit of rapport. There's often a little bit of light humour here and there just to sort of test the waters. And then, you know, over time, there's a push and pull in that relationship that that tests slightly more serious um, topics uh, or the same topic but in a different context. And humor can still be used. Humor is, I think, how we test what boundaries are. And, um, you know, what's appropriate in one situation is absolutely not in another. And also, what you tried and tested in, in one situation that worked doesn't mean it's going to work again. Because actually, that person, won't, you know, has had all sorts of stuff go on in the last week, and the next time you saw them, the same situation, it's just not funny anymore. It was funny last week, it's not funny today. Now, that doesn't mean that we all have to tread on eggshells around each other. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, the world's become too PC, where you've got to be incredibly careful of the language that you use in any given situation, just in case you might offend someone. I think, you know, being overcautious like that will actually impede your ability to build and deepen relationships. So i just think you've just got to be mindful of it just remember your audience if you're not quite sure what your audience is actually say do you know what last week when i caught up with you i thought i'd be really funny um did i offend you at all you know opening yourself up and saying could i have handled that differently you know when your mum died um i cracked a joke down the pub a week later (laughs) um i was just trying to ease the tension but yeah. actually, you you were a bit quiet after that. I'm really sorry. Yeah, opening yourself up to, to opening yourself up to be able to have a dialogue with that person, to show that humility and respect for whoever it is, whether it's your mate or your colleague and or your next I'll neighbor. just
0: add a little vice really versa important. to that. If somebody does open themselves up, don't bloody yeah. attack them. They've realised there yeah. may be an error. <laughs> all right. So, so handle handle your response with the same sensitivity that they're trying to communicate to you. You sound
1: like you've got an example of that to share, David.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm known well, for several... being blunt. Well, no, because I'm known for being quite forward and blunt. Yeah,
1: right? I'm so, really blunt. I yeah. know I'm blunt. So yeah. if, if,
0: if I say to you, like, you know what I mean? If, it's a double-edged sword, because if I come to you and say, I, I may have misread that and come across as wrong and if I've been, you know, I'm ever so sorry and I'm happy to take some kickback from that but if you overstep the mark you will yeah. open up a very articulate bollocking that well, you were not anticipating yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, I so agree
1: with you, you know actually if you open yourself up you've then got to be prepared to listen and not yeah. maybe respond straight away, it just take some time yeah, to I've acknowledge also what's being shared
0: yeah, I've also seen it as well, where somebody has realised they've made a mistake, opened up to somebody and said, look, I, really, I think I really got that wrong. And mm. it wasn't my intention. It definitely came across as that. And I realised I was yeah. being clumsy. I realised I misunderstood. Yeah. And that person yeah. has then taken that as, right, now I'm going to give you the bollock, And it's just like, yeah, no, seriously. no, yeah, hold back.
1: You got back. That wrong, you misread it. Yeah. Uh, it was really, and they've gone right it. on the
0: attack. There's
1: this outpouring and blame and anger yeah. and hate. You yeah, go, and they it? go completely Just supposed to be cathartic.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> and really, sometimes you've got to recognise that sometimes people do misunderstand and misread yeah. a situation. But when the they have, yeah, but yeah. when they have the awareness to come back to you and say, by the way, I wanted to talk mm. to you about this because of X, Y, and Z you've got to understand they respect you enough to have actually thought about what they said. Yeah, exactly. And if you then go and annihilate them, they're not, they're not going to walk away from that thinking it was a good thing to do. And you're actually going to destroy any relationship you had with them.
1: Yeah. could be a number of factors that press their buttons. And, um, you know, over the years, I've learned not to just sort of almost um, confront someone with a situation. So, oh, by the way, last week when I said X, Y, and Z in an email, what I meant was such and such, sorry, you mm. know, and then if you do get that bollocking, it's a bit of a, oh, shit, that's not what I wanted to happen. You know, the older I get, the more I learn, actually, maybe people need a bit of time to digest it. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I'm pretty straightforward. I'm pretty blunt. Um, it doesn't always bring out the best in me or situations. She's I'm just... aware of that. <laughs> well aware of that. Um, but I, I do try. I do try and manage my shortcomings and work on them. But when, if you say to someone, hey, um, you know, we've got a phone call scheduled for Thursday next week. There's something I'd like to talk to you about. I'd like to talk to you about that situation that we discussed um, in in the meeting uh, last month. You know, that offsite meeting we had. Would that be all right with you? Because I don't know, there was just a few things about that meeting that didn't sit quite right with me. Are you all right if we can cover that next Thursday? And giving someone the heads up, that you thought about something, you've reflected on it, you don't want to discuss it now, but you do want to talk about yeah. it next Thursday, whenever it is. Obviously that's entirely fictitious. Giving someone the heads up and encouraging them to reflect and to say, "I'd like to talk about this. this is important to me." That sets the scene yeah. for them to do the same or similar, so that you can have an adult conversation without hopefully abolicking. And someone feeling like they've been bollocked. It's it's not okay to behave like that. It's humans behave like that from time to time. Yeah. But actually, I, if you want to strengthen the relationship, no surprises. It's probably. There. I learned a
0: good rule of thumb, and I can't. My apologies. I can't remember who taught me this when it came to it. And ironically, when it comes to an apology, said if somebody says sorry, and then explains to you why they're sorry, and actually do highlight the impact that it had on you, that offended you so much accept the apology because they actually thought about it
1: totally Uh, for a lot of people it's not the easiest thing to do no um because they don't know how to say sorry um i don't know if you've ever come across this but you know when someone says sorry and the other person says well, you're not sorry, are you? Because you yeah. don't sound like you mean it. And then actually yeah. you have a massive argument as to whether someone really meant it and yeah. said it sarcastically or not, and so on. Because what are you actually saying sorry for? What you're When you apologise... <laughs>
0: Every like, adult to a kid, why are you sorry? Yeah. <laughs> explain <laughs> the apology answer. to me. Yeah,
1: yeah. And right. they're
0: like, yeah. because... Go
1: up to your bedroom and have a think about this and come down and explain <laughs> to me why you're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> It's, we're the same as adults, yeah. aren't we? Actually, well, if you're saying sorry for that and that hasn't offended me, what I really want you to say sorry for is this because that offended me. Yeah. Making an apology and giving it some context, if approached um, in an open mind in an open way that encourages an open response, should actually be to explore what what that apology is for and why. Both ways yeah because yeah i'm really sorry i did x y and z da, 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 and the other person's thinking i've got a clue what you're talking about that didn't bother me at all and yeah. then that person feels misunderstood and the person who's made the apology is uh, thinking brilliant i've said sorry everything's yeah. okay now but actually they <laughs> missed the point completely yeah because of how they, they confronted and informed the person of the apology and what it was and that it was linear and there was no room for manoeuvre around yeah. that apology so there's no moving on and, and this, there's no yeah, true yeah. learning but the person who's apologising he's got it off their chest what's well, things all right and now. this
0: is but this far is what from, this person was talk, talking all right. to, yeah this is what <laughs> this person right. taught me if you're able to say to that person the reason i'm sorry is because when i did that i think you felt like this and that must have been embarrassing or it must have been you or i must have you know like Um, broken the trust between us and you probably felt insulted because i did that it's like when they can feed back how they made you feel yeah it's a genuine apology
1: yeah exactly and and maybe and maybe a question you know i think i might have embarrassed you in that situation am i right and not jumping into the pregnant pause actually give it time give them time to say no you didn't embarrass me um i wasn't embarrassed but i was offended yeah (laughs) because the two things are different so let them own you let them own that the ex- emotion their experience response, yeah rather yeah rather than you say i think you're embarrassed and and then move on to the next question you know subject or part of the apology check in with them were you embarrassed yeah i was actually i was embarrassed and i was offended i'm so sorry i didn't mean to embarrass or offend you All of a sudden something has the ability to restore and through that dialogue being really open actually that relationship's deepened it's strengthened so yes bruises happen don't they when we communicate through humor through impulse through spontaneity through bluntness through judgment and assumption we all do it it's part of who we are as a species that ain't gonna change but i hope that people keep reflecting and learning from each other holding the mirror up to themselves and one another because it it leads to a far more fulfilling and enriched sense of community when you do and your identity in place in that
0: that's probably a great place to stop thank you very much
1: probably is i've had a lovely conversation with you again today david thanks so much for having me on
0: and there you have it the end of that episode with kathy please check out her links which will all be in the description and if you're looking for anything for christmas coming up anything candle related please check out her website chilly winter and i'll make sure the link to that is in the description as well and yeah i hope you all found something useful from that and like kathy said it's just great to to chat like that when it free flows and uh, i very much enjoyed it i hope you did please take care And if you are struggling right now, please, if you're able, try and reach out to somebody.